0: Ephesians 5, verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. that she respects her husband Father God again your word is profound because your word is exactly what you say and as your children in this life as Christians as we are part of the church as we are part of your family through God sometimes we fail you We often do. And so God, teach us in Your Word what You expect of us. How we are to live as Your light to this world. It begins in the home. It begins in our relationships with each other. And if that is not in alignment with Your Word, Your God, then Your Gospel is not proclaimed. So teach us, Father, what this means to live together in a family as husband and wife what that looks like to the world, and what that looks like in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. This passage is contentious because uh, it has been taught in so many different ways over the years. And the one thing I want to... to Emphasize as we began this text is that no matter what you have heard about this text over the years, I would say a lot of it is taught incorrectly because it becomes a Christian counseling psychology session rather than exactly what God is expecting of His people. Now, again, I've done many, many sessions of marriage counseling over the years. As a matter of fact, uh, I, I was. Privileged to conduct a wedding yesterday, and for the last couple of months, I was meeting with a couple, and we were talking about some of these things about what it means to be a wife, what it means to be a husband, what does Scripture say about that? And there's a place for uh, the counseling aspect to this in that context. But what I want us to emphasize this morning is what it is that God is saying in His Word. What is that? What is the underlying meaning here? To live together as a husband and a wife. Yeah, I mean, we we can sit here and have counseling sessions where uh, we beat up the husband because he's not loving his wife. right? And we can have another counseling session where we really make the wife feel guilty because she doesn't respect her husband. But that's not the point of this text. You see where we're going? What I really want to emphasize today is the meaning of this text. If we look in verse 21... This right here really sums up exactly what Paul is talking about because chapter 5 of Ephesians is setting the stage for a couple of chapters here. The last two chapters of of the letter to the Ephesians is really Paul's letter and his writing and his teaching to the church about how to live as a family, how to live... With authority, not just in the family, but in your your employment, in, in the culture, in the society. What does that look like? Because all of this imitates God, as he says in chapter five, verse one. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. We are God's children. So he begins chapter five here with the language of family. And Jesus refers to God as Father. And his church. Christians of his church. We are his children. We are the family of God. And so Paul here sets up the teaching for how to live as if we lived in a family with levels of authority starting with God as the example and we as his children living under his love and his protection and his guidance And so when we come here to verse 21, as Paul was teaching us last week, he was teaching us what it means to be Christians living in a fallen world. How do we live as wise children of God in a fallen world? Now he comes to verse 21 telling us that in all these things, as we give thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This uh, this idea of submission here is important as we go into the discussion of husbands and wives and children and parents, slaves and masters. This idea of submission is the key. How many of us as Christians submit to to the lordship of Jesus Christ. we? As Christians, are we not submitting to the authority of Christ's blood on the cross as the only hope that we have for redemption? If our sins are washed away, if we are forgiven through the blood of Christ, then Jesus Christ has bought us with a price and we submit to His authority as our Savior, as our Lord. Is He the Master of your life? So this idea of submission begins in the Christian life at the moment of salvation as we see Christ as our Savior and God the Father as the authority over it all. That lives out in this idea of family living as husbands and wives wives, in verse 22, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. You see, this idea of imitating Christ, as we imitate the walk of Christians, takes place in marriage. Marriage is one of these very loving, wonderful things modern, contemporary idea of marriage has taken the biblical truth of marriage and distorted it in a way that has caused so much trouble. Amen. Can any of us say that we know marriages that have failed for one reason or another, whether those marriages were Christians or not? Why do marriages fail? It's because marriages that do not rest on the biblical truth of the gospel as being submissive to Jesus Christ, our Lord, are those marriages that begin with a selfish desire to fulfill my wants and my needs. When we begin a marriage under that principle, then we are destined for failure. And this is why Paul is teaching the Christians in Ephesus and the church as a whole whole. As Christians, we walk as children of light, And in no other place is it more prominent and more visible than in the home, especially when it begins with the relationship between a husband and a wife. And so in verse 22, he begins talking to wives, but then he goes into talking about husbands. Now in this, uh, in Ephesians 5, Paul speaks to the husbands more than he speaks to the wife. But we read Peter's account in, in 1 Peter chapter 2. That he talks to the husbands more than he talks to the wives. Or he talks to the wives more than the husbands. So you see that there's plenty of passages of scripture that tell us what to do here. But we have to understand that when we look at this text, many people teach this text as a simple little uh, compartment and we lose the greater meaning. So when Paul is saying wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord he's not telling the wives that you are somehow inferior to your husbands he's not saying that wives you are somehow less than your husbands he's pointing out that the relationship you have in your marriage should reflect Christ so wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord so ladies in this room who are married do you submit to Jesus Christ I hope so and so he's saying, as you submit to Christ, submit to your husband. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. You see, here's the thing: marriage, marriage reflects the relationship between Christ and his church. And the point here in this text here, if we look at, if we're trying to understand why, what does it mean to submit to your husbands? Always go back and look at verse 32. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So in order to to understand what submission is, we must say, what does it look like in relationship between Christ and us as church? You see, the problem here when we get to this text, and I've heard this many times amongst ladies, and I'm sorry, ladies, that Paul uses this language about you particularly, but he's not trying to pick on you. Because husbands are going to have to submit to you as well. So we'll get to that in a minute. But this idea of submission, wives, and, and when I hear this, when I talk to some uh, married ladies, they say, Okay, I'll submit. Now think about that. When, when you hear it in that tone, all right, if I have to, I'll submit. Is that what what's that mean? You know, I have to submit to him? <coughs> Right? now, Do you say that about Jesus? I guess that's the point. Do you, do you have that attitude toward Christ? All right, if I have to, I'll submit to Jesus. And you see, that's what I'm trying to get to see here. When it comes to the idea of the relationship between the wife and the husband, put it in the context here of our relationship between the church and Christ. If you would never use that tone or that attitude with Jesus, why use it with your husband? Amen. We have to compare here. What is if marriage reflects the relationship between Christ and the church, and that's the meaning here of this text. Let's try to figure out what this means. Right, how, does, how does a wife, if she if she reflects the church, how does how does a wife interact with Jesus? How does we, we say, well, how does the church interact with Jesus? So how, how we as Christians interact with Jesus is how wives interact with husbands. That's really the way to understand it. So ladies, if you want to know how to live with your husband, I want to encourage you from this text, ask yourself, how do I relate? How does the church relate to Jesus? Because why is, according to this text, if you want to say that marriage is a, a reflection of Christ in the church, you reflect the church. You are the body of Christ. You are the body of the marriage. The husband is the head, just as Christ is the head of the church. Therefore, you ladies, if you are reflecting the church in the marriage, you're reflecting the body of the marriage. So how do we as Christians interact with Jesus if we're the church? I would say we have to look at it from this point. What do we expect of Jesus? Does anybody have an expectation of Jesus? But we have expectations of our husbands, don't we? Ladies, do you have an expectation of your husband? And you can interact and say yes, no, maybe. Ladies, do you? Sure, you do. Just like husbands have expectations of their wives. The question is are we, are we shaping those expectations in light of Christ? What are the expectations you have of Jesus? Any? What does Jesus do? Jesus is, number one, our Savior. He protects us from evil and damnation. Jesus offers redemption and salvation and new life. Is Jesus not the one who covers us with his blood and protects us and gives us opportunity to be new people? Is that what you expect of your husband? You expect your husband to protect you? Cover you? To show to provide safety for you? Does Jesus provide safety for his church? I would say in some context, yes, but not fully. Because Jesus does say that the church is going to be facing suffering and persecution. We're guaranteed that. That doesn't mean that men are going to allow their women, their wives to be suffer persecution all the time. But at the same time, sometimes the problem in marriages that I see is that some ladies, some wives, have expectations of their husbands that, number one, are not in line with their expectations of Jesus, but number two are expectations that men will never be able to fulfill. One of the things that I see in young marriages often is that young ladies, young brides, come into the marriage expecting their husband to be this great spiritual leader. But guess what? They're both like 20 years old. How many 20 year old young men do you know are great spiritual leaders? I know I wasn't when I was twenty. I didn't know what I didn't know what to do when I was 20, much less lead spiritually. I was still trying to figure out my own spiritual strength at 20, right? So ladies, yes, you, you should expect your husband to lead you as Jesus leads you. You should expect your husband to have the love of Christ towards you as Jesus loves you. But guess what? The two of you may be growing up together and figuring this out along the way. And sometimes young men are overwhelmed with the expectations of their brides because they expect him to be perfect. And he's not. That's kind of the dilemma here. So what do we expect of Jesus? Do we expect Jesus to give us a comfortable home, a place of safety? Do we expect our husbands to give us a comfortable home and a place of safety? Probably. But do we expect Jesus to give us a $500,000 mansion with servants to do all of our housework for us so we can sit back and relax? Is that what we expect of Jesus? Jesus? But how many young wives look at their husbands and say, I have a lifestyle that you need to provide for me and here's where the bar is. Ladies, have we done that? i talked to many young men who, and I'll just say this, just recently, within the last two weeks, God sent a young man to me in tears because his wife demanded so much of him and he could not meet her expectations. He was working 14, 15 hours a day, 6, 7 days a week. He was not lazy. He comes home and his wife yells at him when he comes home because there's not enough. And men are expected to be strong and they're expected to be firm but this young man was broken. his wife expected too much of him. I would say if we expect Jesus to love us, are we expecting Jesus to do more than Jesus will? Are we satisfied with what Jesus does for us? If we are, then can we be satisfied with what our husbands do? Because in verse 22 and 23, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Verse 24, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. We have to stop and think about this for a minute. You see, if the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church... Then, as the church is the body of Christ, the wife is the body of the husband. Let's think about this. Wives submitting as the church does to Christ, would Christ ever expect the church to do something that is contrary to God's will? Absolutely not. It just will not happen. So, the counsel here to ladies if you are in this role as a wife, are you to submit to a husband in everything? What does that mean? Does that mean that you should submit to in everything to a, a husband who is not godly? No, I think the meaning here that Paul is saying here is, is that when we submit in everything, it's in the context of the church submitting to Christ. We submit to everything in Christ. So therefore, ladies, you submit to your husband in everything that is godly and Christlike. If your husband is treating you as Christ treats the church, then by all means, you would willingly submit to him, would Amen? Would you? Most ladies tell me that. Yeah, if my husband was godly and Christ-like, I will submit to him, and happily so. But if your husband is not acting godly, and he is not acting Christ-like, there is no expectation, ladies, for you to submit to that. Matter of fact, there are times, men, when we are not godly, when we are not Christ like, God is using our wife to show us what is godly and Christ like. There is no expectation, ladies, for you to submit to an abusive situation. There is no expectation for you, ladies, to submit to something that is not godly. Paul even speaks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and Peter speaks about this in 1 Peter chapter 3. We then we have to ask this question: what what, what if you're married to an unbelieving spouse? It seems in Scripture that that the Apostle Paul and even Peter, when this is addressed, it's always addressed to the women, it seems like. Because it seems like it's the the men in a marriage who are not godly or not believers. So then the wife is a believer, so does a wife have to submit to an unbelieving husband? That's a dilemma. Peter tells us in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, and even in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul addresses the same thing. If you are married to a non-believer, they say that your Christ-like attitude, ladies, of quiet submission and a, a peaceful demeanor, God can use to change your husband. That can happen. But that does not mean that you have to stay in an abusive situation. Always protect yourself because God's going to protect you some way. He's not going to force you to stay in an abusive situation. But He may use you to soften your husband's heart. Because if we're walking as children of light, folks, we will, as wives, you, you, you have this ability to be beautiful that men don't have. You have the ability to reflect the beauty of God as He has made everything beautiful. The wife reflects that. Now what else is happening here? Let's continue here in verse 25. Ladies, I, I think, is that enough for you right now? Or we could, we could probably preach two or three sermons just on the wives and then preach probably 12 dozen sermons for the men. All right? And ladies, yeah, Let's preach a few more for the men. Let's take a look here at verse 25 and talk about the husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle, or in such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Here is the the crux of a husband's responsibility to his wife is that he is to model his role as the husband after Christ. Just like ladies, you are to model your role as a wife as the church relates to Christ. The husband in this situation follows this. How Christ interacts with the church is how husbands interact with wives. How does Jesus interact with the church? Ponder this. What what does Jesus expect of His church? He expects His church to be loyal. He expects His church to admire Him. Jesus, in doing this, loves the church. Does Jesus love the church only when the church admires Him and only when the church is loyal? No. No. Jesus loves his church always, even when we fail it. And so, guys, how do we love our wives? Even in that light. Even if our wives let us down, if our, if our wives don't admire us, if our wives don't look up to us, we still love them. Amen? See, Christ is the protector of the church. So therefore, men, as husbands, we are the protectors of our wives. We are to love them, and, and the priority of our relationship with our wives, men, is that we are responsible for her sanctification. Do y'all see that in verse twenty-six? Many, many men who come to me and, and complain about their wives, I will say, your wife is exactly what you have made her to be. Do you want the truth to that? If you want a loving, respectful, admiring wife of you, if it begins with and is totally centered on how you treat her. If you are pouring love into her, she's going to respond with respect and admiration. If you are pouring into her sacrifice, she's going to see that and respond like in like kind. We husbands. Are to sacrifice ourselves for our wives. Amen. Some of the men go, "What? What? I got what? You got to sacrifice." How many times do husbands sacrifice job offers so that their family has stability in one place? They do what they have to to put food on the table. Even if they have a great job offer that would move their family to another state, they may have to sacrifice that career move for their family while still providing for them here or wherever they live. How many husbands sacrifice even time with their children and time with their wives in order to work and put food on the table? That's a sacrifice. I would say, men, it is more important to put food on that table and shelter over the head than it is to stay home and play with the babies. Now, there's a balance there, men. You cannot ignore your family. You cannot ever be home to play with the babies. You've got to do that. But it's not your job, men, to stay home and play with the babies. Wives don't stay home and play with the babies. Wives stay home and raise the babies my point. Men get to play with the babies. Men, you need to be out there putting food on the table. If you get a job offer that allows you to put food on the table so that your wife does not have to go to work, that is your calling. Amen? That is your calling. That is your responsibility to sacrifice and pour into your family because that's what Jesus did. Can anybody give anything more than what Jesus did for His church? No. Jesus sacrificed everything to redeem His church, to provide for His church, to bring His church together as God the Father expected. And Jesus Christ is responsible for pouring sanctification into us through the Holy Spirit. Verse 26 here, Actually, verse 24 or 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Men, give yourself up for your wife. Give up your big screen TVs and your weekend boat to make sure there's food on the table and a roof over their heads and clothes on their backs. That He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. Men, how many of us are sanctifying our families by pouring the Word into them? and asking Jesus to cleanse them. Verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. That right there, guys, the husband is clearly responsible for a wife's holiness. So man, if you're not happy with your wife, look in the mirror and see how you're treating her. Are you pouring the word into her? Are you loving her? Are you making sure that her spiritual health is where it needs to be? Are you looking out for not only her physical needs, but are you looking out for your wife's spiritual needs? Is her soul healthy? It's one thing to provide for the body. It's also important, men, that we provide for the soul. We've got to feed our family. Not only we have to feed their bellies, we've got to feed their soul. We've got to feed their spirit. That's our job. Verse 28, In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of His body. Now what is, what is Paul saying here? And we're going to close out here in verse 31 and 32. What is Paul talking about here. You see, Ephesians chapter 5 and in Colossians chapter 3, when you look at these two texts, you see that they really are comparing, that they're comparable passages from Paul. And what Paul is pointing out here is what has been called the household code. It's called the Household Code, and it's not just a Christian thing. It, it is a reflection of a, a bigger thing as well. But this Household code, it, the code is not only used by Paul, but Peter refers to it in the church. Um, many of the early church fathers, when you go and read a lot of their writings in the first and second centuries, they refer to the Household Code uh, in, in how to set up the home. Where does this come from? You see, the New Testament has a theme of a stable household. When we talk about the house of God and we talk about the family of God and His children being the church, we are using language of household here. We can come to God's house and have refuge. We can come to God's house and and find solace and holiness in God's presence. Why is this a theme in the New Testament? A lot of it has to do with the, the, the Greek culture of the time, of the first century. In, in, in Greek culture, the house was the basic unit of stability for the city-state. In, in, in Greek society, in Greek uh, government structures, the house, the home, was the basic unit of stability for the, for the culture. It begins with the emperor, or Caesar, who was seen as the father of the state. And the state was Caesar's household. And the household involved the immediate family. And the immediate family was not just the husband and the wife and the children, but it could also involve uh, slaves or the servants, or perhaps tenants who were renting from the landowner. That was a fundamental building block of Greek culture when you look at, at what it means to uh, moral standards of the society in Greek culture, you would go and read many of the Greek philosophers who talked about ethics and they would talk in terms of the household and levels of authority, beginning with the emperor all the way down to uh, the household with the husband and the wife and then the children and the slaves. And so the uh, The cohesiveness of a household in Greek culture depended on a hierarchy of structure and loyalty. Now, you could say that, you you could argue that perhaps the Christians borrowed from this, but really what the Christians are doing is they're they're trying to explain exactly what the pagans were doing, because this was something that God had established in the very beginning of creation. God, in creating the world, established a level of, of order. God the Father at the top. And he established his people as his family. First, beginning with the children of Israel, calling them out to be his people, and then the church being established as his family. Now, so just as the foundation of the house is the foundation of order and a reflection of God's love for his people, this also became the foundation, perhaps, for the earliest house churches, to separate them from the pagan temples. And so these house codes here reflect, in in Paul's letters here, exactly how the church is to walk like Christ. Think about some of these principles of Christian doctrine as it's related to marriage. When it comes to marriage between husbands and wives, how we relate to each other in the world is exactly how the world is going to see Christ. If our marriages in the church are healthy and strong, then the world is going to see a healthy Savior. If our marriages are weak and troubled, they're going to see a troubled and weak Savior. Think about this. Here's some basic Christian principles that should be seen in the marriage. Romans chapter 12 tells us, Romans chapter 12 verse 10 says, Outdo one another in showing honor to each other. In other words, Paul is challenging the church, see who can honor each other more. I challenge you to see who can give more honor to the other. You ever have that kind of relationship? I honor you more than you honor me. That's really what he's saying. Can we do that? Yeah. I honor you more than you honor me, and I'm going to do my best to make you uh, feel good about yourself and better about yourself. I'm better than you in honor. That's okay. You, that's a good competition. So, husbands and wives, I would challenge you based on Romans chapter 12, verse 10, see who can outdo each other in honoring the other. That's a Christian principle. Would that be good? Amen? Another thing is, in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, Paul tells us to think more highly of others than yourself. It is fundamental in marriage that you think of your marriage partner more highly than you think of yourself fundamental that's a christian principle even in the church do we not think of each other more highly than ourselves in the church i hope so how can i serve you today how can i honor you today you know what i don't need anything special i'm going to make sure you're taken care of is that not the modeling christ and here's the last thing i think is very important whenever men and women get together for marriage counseling or they're pouring out their heart to someone else listen i i Husbands get together and talk a lot about perhaps some of their struggles at home. Women, you do that too. You talk about your husband. I've heard it. It goes both ways. We pour out our hearts to each other because we don't know what to do. And we may look upon our spouse as perhaps our enemy. Is it possible in a marriage to look at your husband as your enemy or to look at your wife as your enemy? What does Jesus say about that? Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 Jesus says what? Love your enemies. Can you apply that to the marriage? I think so. Amen. So how what does this look like? See, husbands who love their wives, they're reflecting Christ's sacrifice for the church. And wives who respect their husbands in verse thirty-three. They're reflecting the church respecting Christ and following Him. But all of this doesn't begin with Paul writing to the Ephesians. This was God's plan back in the creation of Adam and Eve and the garden and the world in Genesis chapter 2. Look over there to Genesis chapter 2, verse 20. What does God say about marriage? The very first marriage, Genesis chapter 2, beginning... Verse 20. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up his place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. You see, Paul reflects the same thing in Ephesians 5.31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become, what? One You see, as God created man and woman to be married together, Paul is encouraging the church as husbands and wives, you have a responsibility and obligation to reflect God's intent. And if Christ is the Savior of the world that has redeemed the fallen order and we are redeemed and made new, then we shall no longer live in our marriages as the world does in a fallen state. Our marriages are to look different and be different. <coughs> this is not a checkoff list of are you following the do's and don'ts. It's more of a call to look to Christ as the author and the savior of all of our lives. Are we imitating Christ even in our marriages? That's the call. So, husbands and wives, the next time that you do have a lively disagreement, and I'm putting myself in this, I and mean, Rhonda and I are not perfect either. Now, Rhonda's perfect, I'm not. How's that? I mean, you know, are we reflecting Christ in our lives together? Are we forgiving each other when we do fail each other? That's the point. And so, as we try to imitate the walk, as we look to the Word of God for guidance and how to imitate Christ, if we struggle in our homes, God has shown us right here exactly what the point is. When, we, when we're struggling in our families, the chances are that we're not imitating Christ. And so if we're not imitating Christ, what do we do? We strive to imitate Christ. And we ask for the Holy Spirit's direction and guidance. Men, if you struggle to love your wife, the Holy Spirit can help you do that. Ladies, if you struggle to respect your husband, then the Holy Spirit can help you do that. Amen? That's the purpose. And I pray for us all that our marriages and those who are not married, who eventually will be. Look at these two men right here. God's going to send some sweet lady into your life and change your world. I promise that will happen. Amen. Mm -hmm. Let's reflect Christ in that. Father God, we do thank you again for your love and your word. And we thank you, God, that you did create man and woman with the intent that we would be partners together and companions together. Just as Adam needed a partner, you gave him Eve. And that was the first marriage. Lord, as your church, we do strive to please you by imitating Christ in all that we do. But it's often impossible, it seems. That's why we lean on you and we we depend on you. And so, Lord, even in our lives and our homes with our husbands and wives, Lord, I pray that you would teach us and give us opportunity to grow for us husbands to learn how to love as Christ loved. And for ladies, the wives, to learn how to respect their husbands as the church respects Christ. All of it is submissive love to one another. And we don't know what this looks like, Lord, away from you. And so, God, I pray that you would draw us into this knowledge and this understanding of how to live out this Christian life. Not on our own, but in dependence upon your hope and your glory and your word and your salvation. Bless us, God, we pray as we move forward. Direct our every step. In Jesus' name.